the night was clear and the moon was yellow. And the leaves came tumbling down. Da, 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 da. I was standing by the corner when I heard my bulldog bark. It was barking at two men who were gambling in the dark. Da, da. Stagger Lee and Billy, the two men who were gambling. Stagger Lee drew a seven and then Billy. He drew eight. Stagley said, Billy, I can't let you go with that. You have won all of my money in my brand new Stetson hat. Stagley went home and he got his 44. He said, I'm going to the bar and I'll pay that debt I owe. Staggerly shot Billy. Oh, he shot that boy all oh, so bad. Then the bullet went through Billy and it broke the bar. Tender's glass. That song is like uh, a African American uh, urban murder ballad from the turn of the century. Uh, Staggerly is like a kind of a uh, a gangster John Henry. Uh, there's, uh, it apparently all stems from an actual incident of, uh, of a, uh, gambling inspired shooting in St. Louis, I believe in the early 20th century, uh, in, in the black, uh, in the black segregated black section of St. Louis. And then the guy who uh, did that, who shot the guy became a folk hero. And there's a bunch of versions of Staggerly with a bunch of different, uh, lyrics, uh, but the story is always basically the same. Uh, Billy beats Stagger Lee at, at uh, crap or uh, thrown dice uh, and, and wins his hat from him. That's often a detail. Uh, then Stagger Lee just gets a gun and kills him. That's it. Uh, I was basically singing the uh, the Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Price arrangement. Lloyd Price, who just recently died, he died a couple weeks ago. Uh, also, he was uh, he was he did Staggerly. He did Personality, which is another great song, uh, and he was best friends with Don King. Fascinating guy. So yes, that's a that's a classic song. Uh, yeah, Stack Oli, also known as Stack Oli. It yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's the same. Dynamic you see create in folk musical traditions throughout the world, but it is really a a uh, a. Uh, I mean, it is an urban uh, African American appropriation of like the uh, the uh, the European murder ballad. You want to talk about cultural appropriation? Like that is a good example of how culture is literally interaction. The culture is defined by things striking each other. Uh, st- a stable a stable cultural element is not culture or is, is not uh, culture at all. It's stagnant and it dies. And the proof of that is that the culture uh, of the late 19th century that is most forgotten now, the culture that is completely dissolved away from the bones of our memory of civilization, 
uh, is the middle class culture of the respectable uh, 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 bourgeois who sat in uh, their uh, well-appointed dining rooms and had silent dinner with their uh, incredibly bored wives and just cultivated neuroses and and, uh, repression. And they were horrified by the culture of the... uh, of the urban Catholic decadence or, uh, or uh, of uh, the, the urban and rural black community that they felt was, uh, had proven themselves unworthy of um, emancipation for not adopting their culture, not adopting their idea of culture. And they were uh, virulently anti-Catholic and racist and uh, anti-immigrant because they wanted to defend this thing. And the thing they're defending, what they read and wrote, is all gone. It's all that middle-brow shit that made up the culture that was being defended by the uh, white middle-class America is dissolved into nothing. The only thing we have left is the low culture where people were grinding against one another, where you don't have any kind of stability, where communities are coming into clash and in clashing create new social forms. Like Congo fucking square, taking uh, uh, African rhythm and marrying it to uh, European harmonies. Man. And of course, that is why now cultural appropriation has become a vocabulary of the same cosseted, cultureless, urban middle class that there was then. Only now they've gone through the ringer of history to the point that their puritanism is no longer expressed metaphysically. Because God died and they re-enthroned themselves with it. We all re-enthroned ourselves in God's absence. Uh, in that world, they have subsub- they have taken the, the Protestant morality of their Puritan forefathers, their Puritan witch-finding forefathers, and have sublimated it into a, uh, a civic religion of personal virtue. And so what they end up doing is trying to create separate stable spheres of culture the same way that the fucking dead Victorians did. and. Their cultures is similarly doomed because conflict is the essence of culture. That is, in fact, the dialectic. Ah. Mm. I mean, look at the new Gossip Girl. The new Gossip Girl. They have said now that their rebooting of Gossip Girl will be post 9-11, or it'll be post-Occupy, uh, post-BLM, which means that all these characters, these rich Dracula children in the Upper West Side, whose parents are enthroned in blood mansions, like literally Epstein-level demons and their spawn, are wrestling with their privilege and are aware of um, oppression and and seek to recognize and hold space for, you know, uh, to make up for their privilege. But obviously there's still the elite demonic f- hordes who are l- ripping the flesh off of the bones of the decaying corpse of the American working broadly as in not capitalist, as in not holding actual rentier control of transactions, which is the only place that capital accumulates now. And if you have that condition of life, you are being eaten. 
And you see these people expressing all of these fucking pieties while still feasting on your entrails. How the fuck are we ever supposed to transcend our identities and have a class project if that is the dynamic of culture that everyone is fucking observing? It's grim. And meanwhile, the people doing this think they're doing it to make themselves good people. Now, a show where these people were hyper-woke and they used all of these, uh, you know, privilege-checking things, these, these dynamics of space-holding and accountability, and use them as weapons in their war with one another, their blood sport of fucking social positioning that has replaced any need to work because they're, at the end of history, they're the fucking elite in Zardoz who have driven each other insane by immortality in the fucking pleasure gardens of, of indulgence. So they have to make up stakes and make something up, and that is social position. And then they use these uh, these mechanisms of virtue to as weapons against one another. Because remember, the middle class who creates this shut stuff, they believe it. This is theology to them. But the upper class do not abide by bourgeois morality. That means all the rich people, all the hyper-wealthy people who adopt woke language are doing it instrumentally as weapons, by definition, because they're in the fucking top. They're doing it. If you're a Renier, you're doing it. And so these people, there can be no earnest checking of privilege in this universe. There can only be war, reptilian war of all against all over the pathetic stakes of social positioning, using wokeness as weapons. Now, of course, someone could say, well, that's just reactionary because you're saying that all of these meaningful questions of like racial and gender justice are just weapons? No, no, no. You can easily show in, the, in a good version of this, which this won't be, let me stipulate, how these people are uh, cynically abusing this thing and how there is a real, like a heartbeat in all these questions. There is a real yearning for justice that could be brought into a fight for a generalized uh, 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 you know, assertion of humanity in the face of the dehumanization of capitalism. But it's being used by these people in this way because they're lizards. They're lizards, folks. They are goblins. And I don't think there's anything wrong with talking to them in those terms. We have to dehumanize our ruling class. Like, in, intellectually and spiritually, we have to view them as lesser than human. Not in terms of, you know, therefore you can kill them or whatever. You know, they're still as human as like a chimp and you wouldn't kill a chimp. Uh, it's just that they are not us. And that if we think that they think like us, if we assume the society we would build through our motivations is the one they would, even though they use the same language as us, then you are misunderstanding the world and you are missing the boat on everything. They could, they, they're going to use our language. But what they mean by those words is not what we mean by them. They have a secret code imprinted on them that only they can hear because they are fundamentally at a different perspective created by their material class position next to sitting there next to capital, guarding the fucking algorithm with their lives and growing fat off the radiation. So a show that you showed them cynically using these things and the way that you have that makes you have to reconsider the usefulness of this vocabulary and for political aims. If this can be done, then what 
if this is recognizable to you, and I think it would be to anybody who spends any time online talking about politics, or even media without politics, because now they're inextricable, that those dynamics are at play. And you can see in the world who is playing the part of the Gossip Girls, of the Leslie Van Houtens, or whatever the fuck they're, what's her name? Johan van der Sloot? What's, what's the big, what, it's Dutch, because they're the not, they're the Upper East Side, so they're the not uh, Jewish part, right? I believe traditionally the Upper West Side is for the Jewish, relatively old money, and the Upper East Side is for the old, like, fucking German and Dutch and uh, in English money. You know, Yorkville, which is in the Upper East Side, was like a German uh, ethnic community up until the after World War II. That's why they; those are the people who filled Madison Square Garden for the fucking Bund meeting that happened in the 30s. Serena Van Woodson, there we go. Roosevelt, those people. That's that. That's where that. And of course, and and then, uh, but yeah. So they would all be the non. So I'm wondering how they're going to do representation. Are they going to lie to us and tell us? That, hey, we've integrated our ruling class the way that fucking Bridgerton lied to people and said, let's have a fantasy where we can we can meaningfully diversify the, the ruling class away from conditions where – away from like the communities that are systematically disenfranchised by capitalism. You can keep at capitalism without the maldistribution of – opportunity that is created by capitalism that is stamped on people's flesh that is branded on us socially in a way that uh overdetermines our life conditions and now we're going to say absolutely no that's not the case you can have a guilty capitalism you can have a capitalism where the people at the top feel bad enough that they just change everything and bring in a diversified segment of the of the best of because remember they're still meritocrats. They're when they say we're going to integrate the ruling class, they don't mean real. What they mean is is that the elite, the meritocratically uh, 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 divined elite of each race and group are represented. And of course, that's going to be that would realistically be a small percentage because of historical oppression. You can only get rid of that distribution of opportunity. By abolishing the fucking uh, price signal that is driving everyone insane and turning us into cannibalism. So that would be a good show, but we're not going to get that one. We're going to get a show where, uh, like, these characters at the end of the day are just not as bad. Not even as just as bad as they need to be, because they would need to be really evil, like cruel intentions level evil. A dangerous liaison level evil. That kind of thought. Fuck Heather's level, ev- level evil to, to make this work. But even just as bad as the Gossip Girls characters were. Matt's Jeff Bezos cannibalism joke is an all-timer. I don't want to suck my own dick, but I just that hit me because I don't remember that joke. If anybody could put it in there. 
I am indeed a gossip boy of the of the podcast elite, and that is the most important point of all of this. Is that uh, so? Somebody I forget who it was. One of those fucking like uh, was that Sabrobian guy, the dumb, the guy who's trying to be like a discount uh, Greenwald Taibi, like an Aldi brand, like trying to pick up the fucking the scraps left over. A literal like carrion bird. This guy who used to fucking flack for Pelosi is now just a carrion bird of the Substack Serengeti, and he's just looking to fucking uh, um, uh, eat what's left over in this in this fucking buffet because they're not. He has to know he's not going to get green log level money, but he could get a decent chunk. You could not have to work for others, which is what everybody's looking for this day, and I, me too, and I can understand. It's the only rational individual goal you can pursue. And we're now living in a condition where you there is no deal that you can strike with the state to assume it. You really are all for one, or all for each other. But this guy said that, like, the, 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 uh, the liberals are, the, the social liberals are, and of course, like, the left, when these guys say, when these guys say the left, what they are talking about is social liberalism. And then the thing is, social liberalism is now, I would argue, enmeshed in questions of material conditions, enmeshed in questions of, of socialist politics, that it cannot be extricated. You can't wish it away. And I think any politics premised on the idea that you can wish it away and pretend it's not there is fanciful. I also think that the idea that you can directly confront it and try to shear uh, material politics away from identity is impossible because people's identities are more felt, are more conscious in their mind of the American people who you have to be like trying to engage with, trying to trying to literally propagandize, and you have to get them to understand concepts. And understanding concepts of identity is much easier in this country because that's what we live. So if it's a fight between the two, your fanciful notions of a class conflict-based uh, identity that they're supposed to go from instead of the the dem- demographic reality that life as a fucking capitalist subject imposes upon you, they're going to pick that one because it's realer to them. You're not going to be able to defeat that. I mean, some people will come to that perspective, but overall, you're, work- you're, you're fucking ice skating uphill, as Blade said. Because people are going to push against that, and the entropy is going to be towards identity, which is what the cynical notion of creating like a national capitalism that's going to do like a Tucker Carlson thing is predicated on the idea of you can't beat them, join them. Use the identity that is like the, the uh, center of gravity among people who work for their, with their hands, uh, people who are most ex- exploited by capitalism, who feel alienated from the system the most, which is not the middle class who make up the brains of the social left. Those people either have made it made it to some degree or have a dream that they will make it somehow. It's only the people who have given up that dream who can really be mobilized against capitalism per se and actually do the do the do the job of resisting it. And so they'd say that means you need to get the passions of identity and yoke them, but it doesn't work because it will be consumed. It will be ground up. And capitalism will overawe itself onto the process because you're not bidding with the right, with like reactionary social ideas. You're not bidding against uh, a neutrality. You're not bidding as as a as a um, as the only offer. There's another offer. There is the cynical offer that capital uh, is is giving to uh, uh, the disenfranchised, uh, like under uh, uh, less educated slash less. Uh, 
compensated for their work more precarious. Uh, they're going to side with the pitch towards their skin, their national concepts, their their preference for hierarchies where they are uh, stable in a position to others and and atop someone else. Those appeals are being made too, and they're going to win because those have money behind them. They will win because the culture creates them, because it is built into the structure. You can't do that. It is, it is uh, if, if it's cynical or earnest, it's faulty. Because if it's cynical, it just won't work. And if it's earnest, then you're a fucking racist piece of shit. Shut the fuck up. But there is something truly, there is something to the complaint that the social liberalism detached, like I'm saying, from the class project, detached from questions of material uh, alienation, that, uh, that the social liberals form an elite in the sense that Twitter and online uh, and Twitter slash TikTok slash Instagram, not Facebook. Facebook's for old people. The, the younger skewing social medias are dominated by a group mind, and a, a group think and a hive mind that is the echolocating hysteria of the urban middle class reacting to their uh, proletarianization. It is, it is, it is the, uh, it is the professionally employed in media and in culture production people of the, of all races. We're seeing their conditions deteriorate, and if they're doing well, are feeling a greater degree of guilt, and if they're doing poorly, if they're downloading mobile, if they're stringers who are, you know, like hanging on with their fingernails to some job in the publishing industry, or they're grinding in, like, the parasocial world of podcasts and fucking substacks, they're filled with resentment. And so they're what they're going to create, the culture they're going to produce, the posts they're going to do, and then the shows they're going to create, the, the, the cultural objects that we all react to, that they're going to create, are going to reflect that anxiety. And so all of that boils down to the, the guilty ones. They want a way to preserve their system, the system that they're in consciously. They want to preserve it, but they want to feel less guilty about it. They want to put off the sense of guilt that comes with watching Others suffer on their behalf. And they, what they come up with is, well, if we got rid of racism, which is a thing that is offensive to my eyes because I can see it, because it's created in the funhouse mirror of culture, and I can feel it in a way that I cannot feel uh, 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 economic exploitation. I instead create meritocracy, colorblind and, and, and gender neutral meritocracy as the spindle that I revolve my entire universe around. The moral fucking framework. And what that means is they're going to emphasize culture war above all else. The need to, the need to separate into discrete cultural categories around gender oppression, around racial injustice, and then either, uh, and then essentially unify around anti-white guilt, uh, white guilt as like the presiding, um, emotional Resonance, and then we all feel 
we either feel mad at white people or guilty as white people enough that we transubstantiate capitalism into an even distribution of resources that they can then operate itself mechanistically through the meritocratic pipeline and grind one half of humanity and then two thirds and then the vast majority of it into fucking paste while the liberals feel good about themselves. And then the grinders who make up like the cannon fighter, the people posting all day at their shitty jobs, the people who actually make the things that culture reflects and then are, and then like the voice of which is what reinforces at the level of the market, these dictates, because Remember, this isn't just ideological. As the only people who talk about culture becomes this anxious uh, middle class consuming the art of this anxious rich group and just spitting their anxieties back and forth, are going to build a culture, are going to build a politi- a, a, culture, a, a, a collection of cultural artifacts that the rest of us react to. And that forms our, resp- our understanding of politics. And that is, that's how we destroy ourselves, essentially, by enough of us, by not enough of us detaching from that dynamic. We have to detach from that dynamic because it will drive us into oblivion. Because what it will do is it will make every white person make a choice between becoming uh, self-mortifying in some way, in saying, I am in some way responsible for the bad conditions of the world. I have done, I have sinned. It is a recognition of sin that is demanded before you can be redeemed. You, You must, you're demanding convert or fight to these people. And there's, my argument would be that there is there are fewer people now who are uh, convertible than there used to be. And the thing that makes you convertible is you've either been ideologically subsumed into this thing by going to college or consuming in one way the media ar- around that is generated by this, uh, or you are uh, operating in alienation to it and everything it does you hate, and it's driving you away from it. And I... Uh, since more and more people are being immiserated, uh, and as you saw with the, the 2020 election, and you saw the big bump in Trump support in all non-white categories, ab- re- uh, regardless of like income, like working class Latinos, bigging, having a huge switch over to, to Trump, and, and him getting more votes than he did last time among less frequent voters. We're the people who need to be activated for socialism. And that if that's the thing, if the question is, is politics about extirpating your sins, then people are going to pick, no, I would rather not apologize for this. Uh, And then if the other person is offering some sort of racial uh, or national wage above other people, some maintenance of a position in a status quo, that's a better deal because it actually does have a material pitch. There is a materiality to culture war from the right right now because they say we can reinscribe a hierarchy that will see you secured in your position and that that can transcend race, but it's not going to transcend the racial distribution of resources because that's what the hierarchy is built on. But you can make it into this middle or upper class through work, more and more the left uh, pitch, the left cultural pitch 
is a spiritual one. There is no changing anything. Misery is inevitable. If anything can happen, we can redirect misery towards those responsible for it. The whites. Now, I'm not saying that's what people think. I'm saying that is eventually the pitch that people hear because they're outside of this, uh, the, 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 the thought process that creates it. Because the thought process behind the notion of like anti-racism as an organizing principle, it all holds together, but only from within the tent, only having accepted certain principles that are not universal and that you're pushing against. The kind of things that are built in action by class consciousness and class activity. The pursuit of material politics. But with, 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 with pursuit of material politics gone, there is no pitch beyond the, the sanctimonious and the cultural and the spiritual and the, and the puritanical. Because at one point, if you're a regular American citizen, and you, this is after the end of like World War II and labor peace truly reigned. The working class, not just the domestic working class, the entire working class in the world, other than the fucking uh, communists in China, basically, and the and the, uh, but everywhere else where where, where there was like an entrenched uh, working class movement, either inside capitalism or like inside. Uh, whatever the hell the Soviet Union was trying to turn itself into. Uh, in all of those working classes, there was a peace treaty signed after World War II. It started it, 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 in, in, the West, in the West. It was, it was headquartered in the, uh, in the retreat of the uh, working class in the face of the, white, of the reactionary response to World War II, uh, the reactionary tide that World War II unleashed. Uh, they were unprepared for it, and they uh, were defeated. The purge of the LFL-CIO and the leading uh, labor unions of communists in the early 50s, coupled with the Taft-Hartley bill, essentially eviscerated the American working class as a politically coherent set of agenda points that it could put to the regular person. Because that's the thing. In America's democracy, after that treaty had been signed, and it was signed at Potsdam by Stalin too, Stalin said, we're going to put our guns down. We're going to stop pushing beyond these points as long as you concede them. And that, during that, um, people thought that that was just a, a, some people at the time thought that they were just signing a, a peace treaty, but with, uh, they were signing a truce. At the time, I would say everybody in that war, everybody at every line in the Western uh, communist parties, in the Western uh, labor union movements, in the Western uh, social democratic parties, uh, and in the communist party in, in Russia, they all thought they were signing a truce where they could settle themselves in for the long haul. But what they actually, in retrospect, were signing were fucking articles of surrender. The Articles of Surrender meant that the working class was going to demobilize, and it did, over the course of the Cold War, so that when the 70s came, there was nobody there to coherently express a working class objection to neoliberalism in the political sphere. Because remember, 
We did not have mass party politics in this country. What we had instead was politics as a consumer identity. I am a Democrat, not because I am a member of the Democratic Party, that I attend its caucuses, that I vote in its by-elections, that I am like a local ward healer or something, uh, or that I have like a dual union card and, uh, and party membership card, and that I pay dues to the party, and that I have uh, influence in its internal democracy, I vote for it. I vote for the party. Just like I buy Pepsi instead of Coke, just like I make any other consumer decision in my life. And so it's integrated into my mind as a consumer, as an expression of my consumer identity that is formed elsewhere. And so when it's time to vote in this post-war period before uh, the, the formal mechanisms are destroyed in the 70s because they can no longer be afforded by capitalism as it enters its decline phase globally after becoming a global system, which happened as soon as as soon as the global system was created, its expiration date was uh, ensured, and now we're facing uh, the 21st century is is the real uh, crisis created by that uh, entry of entropy into the system. There was nobody there to fight. There was nobody there to say, "Hey, don't let this happen." The political parties just expressed cultural sentiments, and those ended up replacing all of the material ideas. So that when somebody votes, they are voting about what kind of person they think the parties see them as and what kind of person that they want to see reflected in the party. And that means that they're operating from identity uh, formations that have nothing to do with their status as workers, that have everything to do with their demographic distribution, geographically, uh, racially, uh all of those things determining our identity. And so if there's no, if there is nothing on the, if there is no representation of something that offers an appeal to that worker identity, it shrivels up and falls away. It literally gets necrotic. And that's what you see over the course of the, of the fucking seventies and eighties is the necrosis as a bunch of working class people start voting Republican out of identity, absent absent uh, class politics, uh, and as a bunch of people stop voting, those two phenomenon are the result of the crosis of the uh, of the body politic, the working class American body politic. And now that's all we have, and it is now entering a terminal state of cannibal uh, of the it, it is. The fat stores are being eaten. We are we essentially have cancer socially because there is no more healthy dynamic undergirding this thing because there's no way to relieve what the political system did before was it provided a, a, a signal to capital at like any of the other signals that generate like the, the response nexus of capital, a signal saying, hey, the speed of exploitation in this system the speed of uh, proletarianization and and of the in this system is exceeding the social capacity to absorb it. You need to put the brakes on, because the thing can't put brakes on itself. It is the brake pads. And after 1979, after the Volcker shock, put it bluntly, the brake lines were cut. And so we're hitting the fucking button as hard as we can. Or I mean, we're hitting the pedal, we're mashing the fucking brake pedal as hard as we can, but it is not. 
The pads are not touching the, the fucking wheel. But this is a long, incredibly long way to say that what this means is that in a real respect, the conservatives like that Mistrobian guy, or rather like the pissed off liberals, like the Mistrobian guy, like Glenn Greenwald, like Taibbi, like that entire, the post left, like that entire reaction is basically people coming to terms in some way with the fact that culture is now hegemonically left slash liberal socially. That means it is enmeshed in material politics because you cannot extract these things. Racial justice is part of class fucking justice. Of course it is. You cannot have one without the other. They have to work in tandem. One cannot be abolished at the behest of the other because then you destroy the basis of the social solidarity that is our only weapon against capitalism. Of course you need fucking racial justice. You need gender justice. You need all this shit. It is unquestionable. But how do you fucking protect them both? What political expression and articulation can appeal to people in a way that has them act in the same way, vote in the same way, go to the same events in the same way, coordinate behavior? Because they can't coordinate a behavior by identity because they're all separated by identity because of racism, because of all the stuff you people fucking talk about all day. All the stuff that we're supposed to be conscious of every day, the racial separation created by redlining and the fucking Federal Housing Administration and, 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 and uh, Jim Crow and the disposition of, uh, of black landowners after, world, after the Civil War. Of course, that was all fucking uh, – of course, that's what is defining all of this now. That's all real. But the result of that is that political power and demography is still in the hands of the settler colonists. So how do you culturally reach the settler colonists? And when I say culturally, I mean politically because now they're the same thing. How do you organize political campaigns and, and, the, uh, and like the cult cultural things around political campaigns? The counter-hegemonic elements around a politics opposed to this and orthogonal to it. Do you emphasize original sin and white uh, privilege and fragility to people who are settler colonists, who have had their cultural concepts defined by settler colonialism? that they are only now becoming alienated from because the deal they thought they were getting as kids is falling apart. They would still, the, the, our, the hope we have is that enough people get alienated from the system by being dispossessed from their position of relative social power so that they could be organized and mobilized. How do you do that? And that is a question of what issues you've emphasized, what issues you campaign for, what candidates you select, what vocabulary you use in campaigns and in culture. And that should define your your approach to every one of these questions. But I think for a lot of people, including good intention people who have good ideas and are trying their best and are very smart and perceptive, they are a lot of the times just confusing the moral question of whether you need to express socially 
a solidarity to the emotional truth of oppression in America. If you think that, if you think deep down that you can't get to the social solidarity that will overthrow capital, capitalism without some white racial reckoning, then you will think that. And the thing is, that's not true because that can't come. A white racial reckoning in the context of continued social immiseration, guess what? A white racial reckoning is white nationalism. It is race realism. It is reinscribing the hierarchy in fucking uh, blood. And the thing is, is that from a, if you're someone who has to go online and talk about this stuff all the time, especially if you're a white person, that sucks. That sucks to, because there are all these questions that boil down to your public performance. That you can't help any of these points. There's nothing you can do but add your stupid voice. And if that's the case, then you feel a moral obligation to add your voice to the chorus of racial justice. And you're doing it out of sincere belief in your own, uh, not just personal virtue, but your revolutionary efficacy. You think you're doing the right thing, not for yourself, but for everybody. And I just don't think you are, because what is pulling you in that direction is the abstract flattening of the online of disputatious space where you have to treat every question as a moral question that you have to express a moral position on because moral suasion is the only politics that can be articulated in the digital space. And so as a result, the only way to win is not to play. You can't talk about this shit. Talk about what matters. Organize around what matters. Do not set about making it your mission to de-wokeify the left, because then you're just providing grist for the mill and part of the dynamic of cultural confusion and propaganda and mysticism that obscures the fucking questions that are right in front of us. Focus on what matters and fucking accept the reality of racial fucking justice and the need for it and gender justice and everything else, a need for a reckoning, but go about making it in the material world, not in the kingdom of fucking heaven. Make it, inscribe it in the goddamn land. That's what the Protestants, have, that's what the psycho Protestants have been doing to this fucking country for 500 years and they're on the verge of destroying the earth. We need to grab the goddamn reins from them and inscribe justice in the land, not in heaven. And the heaven they'll create will be either the fa- it'll be the fantasy of 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 of, uh, of moral transcendence now, but then even if it's even successful, capitalism lives. Cap- uh, 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 woke finance capitalism wins. It defeats national capitalism, the reptile, and of course it leaves the corpse of the working class to rot. And it, technology survive- keeps it alive because the technology would have to intervene to keep this possible. You're going to have a situation where you have a fucking Bridgerton-ass ruling class ruling over a techno-hellscape. The creature, the fucking... I'm trying to think of the name of the short story that's one of the most chilling things I've ever read. It's a sci-fi short story about a post-singularity world called The People of Sand and Slag, I think. It's one of the most haunting pieces of science fiction I've ever read because it absolutely understands 
where all this ends up, regardless of who wins the culture war. Because as long as we don't grab the reins from this suicide machine we've invented, we've put in our own DNA, then we're going to be destroyed. But because this is such a powerful uh, work, it's such a power. It's it's such a powerful imaginative realm that we can inhabit because it is created by the culture we consume. It's very easy to see inside this thing and think you're seeing the contours of reality. And the the culture war, the right populist culture war uh, argument is premised on the underlying notion that the elite within this thing can uh, make conditions. And I would say that that is wrong. There is a social liberal elite within the space of social media that creates culture. Everything, all of the right ideas, you know this is true. All the right ideas in social media are the ideas of social liberalism. Sprinkled with that remnant of class consciousness that people have, that phantom limb that people try to fucking express, but only in the context dominated uh, by by social liberalism, pre-over-determined by the capital uh, that is creating this culture in the first place. Both the monopolized Silicon Valley behemoths who control social media uh, and also the uh, the content behemoths who make up all of the formal culture created out of this, all the movies and TV shows made from inspired by Twitter threads and whose plots are totally determined by what the uh, studio thinks people are going to think about it. All of this determined by not ideas, but by good old fashioned material considerations because they have detached polit- uh, culture making from any uh, uh, accountability in the market, right? Like they've replaced ad dollars that uh, corresponded to anything like they did in the old Nielsen days with a new ad reality based on the, uh, the, uh, the data dollar where it doesn't matter, where the purpose of uh, advertising is not to get a discrete outcome. It is now just to keep advertising a thing you pay for. Because that is what circulates capital through the tech sector and through the cultural creation sector, through the super, the literal, the superstructure of of uh, American civilization, and most importantly, the cultural output, the intellectual property that we export. That's all created and overdetermined by these massive formations of capital. That now they don't fucking get money from your ad dollar, your, you buying Tide, they get money from the state in the form of quantitative easing. Giant slush pond of cash just pouring all over them. That's where they get their money. It doesn't fucking matter if you buy Tide or fucking uh, uh, Cheer. What matters is that there's a commercial for Tide or Cheer that someone can pay for. What that means is, is that you can put anything on there as long as people within the bubble talk about it. And so we get a reinforced... Hive mind idea of social liberalism. And that seems, if you're from the outside of it and alienated from it, because of your demographic position, because you don't re- relate to this stuff, because you didn't have the right experiences, to make you agreeable to it. You either didn't encounter college ideas or encountered them in a way that made them rub you the wrong way. Like you're white and they were saying white people are bad and you don't have the understanding of, uh, of what those words mean that they do to, to get what they're trying to say. And all you hear is that you suck as a white male or as a white person or as an American or as a cop or as an oil worker. And then you hear that because there's no other appeal. There's no real class position appeal because that's not what 
gets replicated in the culture. That gets washed out. So this right populist critique says these guys are creating reality with this shit. No. If anything, reality is being created by conservatives because they are actually exercising uh, coordinated political power. Like that's the thing that national capitalism has going for it in the face of woke capitalism is that they do actually have minoritarian control of, of systems of government. The constitutional order has given them extractive capital, fixed American capital, has given them more political control than anybody else. Certainly woke capital, all those people, they might all think that they're, you know, that they've done, that they've tried to make capitalism better by giving away the store to globalism and globalization and deindustrialization. They've made it so that there is no, um, there is nothing in the appeal of broadly conceived leftism made within cultural productive mechanisms to appeal to them. There's nothing. It's been it's been dissolved out. And that means that when the still mobilized minoritarian institutions of reactionary national capital, which are headquartered still with billionaires, not with the grassroots, when they see culture war in the ether of, uh, of culture, in the ether of, uh, of social media and uh, then entertainment, they see a way to get their voters to vote a certain way which ostensibly is about something like CRT or before that fucking uh, common core, but is actually about voting in Republicans who will do Republican shit. And that is increasingly stuff that is hostile to global forces, including global capital, but only to sustain hierarchies, not to transcend them, which is why national capitalism is doomed and why it shouldn't be supported because it cannot defeat capitalism on its terms by cutting out the possibility of social solidarity between races and gender groupings and all that shit, you are ensuring your own defeat because you're cutting your fucking throat demographically because numbers are all we have, baby. Numbers are all we got. And national capitalism, even though it is easier in terms of imagining getting people to vote on your program, you're just going to be being led along for the ride by capital the same way that all the socialists who think that, yes, we need to get reparations first. They think they're fucking helping the revolution, but they're being pulled along by the Democrats in the same way that those reactionary national capitalists are being pulled along by the Republicans. Headquarters of capital, reinscribing of class domination. They don't give a fuck about the rest. That'll come as may. And not, a, and of course, the national capitalists at the top, they don't think that they're doing that. A lot of them, like the Mercers, they think that they're going to preserve national uh, white folkways, but they're kidding themselves. It's delusional, just like it's delusional on the left. So they will be defeated. And then it will be autonomous drones patrolling a blasted hellscape. And outside the walls of the hellscape will be the land of Homo Sasser, the, the, the citizen without, without dignity. The, the, the human person who has been stripped of of their humanity has been re- taken to the level of like a uh, an endangered species. 
like you like the, the the moral claim that a American citizen used to be able to make to the heart to the real to the to like to, to the heart of an other American that's supposed to be the basis for any kind of national identity right because national identity is some sort of connection that transcends the self. That is over time, of course. I mean, it's determined on some people all being outside of it completely, like black people, like Native Americans. It depends on there being an other who is not you. And those people are permanently prescribed and dominated. And hey, what do you know? It also keeps capitalism generating. Uh, it also prevents the accumulation of the sufficient um, social solidarity to overcome capitalism. What a great, it's almost like this is the, the one weird trick using expropriated land and labor from an outside class that allowed capitalism to buy off the working class within the center of uh, the machine uh, after World War II. And of course you could say, oh, that's like settlers. That's like, um, that's just Maoist third worldism. Uh, I, I don't think so because I think that is predicated on like a, a fixed destiny. And I really think that this question has been contested deeply all throughout time and is still being contested. I think the Maoist third world uh, 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 error, and I think it is an error made out of a desire to avoid having to do real work, because if you really do think that there's nothing to be done in the center of the empire, you really can just post without guilt. You can post and eat the bugs and live in the pod and watch the, uh, watch the Marvel shows ironically if you really think that there's nothing to be done in the center. That is the most failure. The description of the mechanism whereby a working class is bought off by the alienation of the system being put off on others, labor done, exploited labor done by others, land taken from others, like ways of life destroyed by others. That's true, but it's always been contested. And the arc of our history is the arc of that contest. The Civil War was part of that contest. Reconstruction was part of that contest. Uh, the populist movement, the Socialist Party, the, Red, the fucking first Red Scare, the, the emergence of the U.S. Communist Party, the fucking New Deal, the popular front that defined uh, like the liberal left coalition against fascism, the, uh, the, the post-war strike wave of the 18, 1940s, late 1940s, that was really like the final surrender of the American working class. Like these are all key points of contention. And even though we're at the end stage, we're still all in contention and we have to do something because we don't know where it's going to start. We don't know where, as Bain said, the fire will rise. You just have to be in a position to do something when it comes and to feed the fucking flames with your own action carried out uh, close to the bone and not at the level of culture and fantasy. And that's a challenge we all have to make to ourselves. And, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be, it's going to involve becoming different people with different values. And that means surrendering something of yourself, which is not something that the liberal self accepts, accedes to. The liberal self repels from that. And we are all liberals. We are all liberals of the self. We have to transcend that. But we have to fight through this. This is the thing. This is individually, this is the fucking white blood cells of capitalism defending us. From the virus, the viral infection, the good virus, the cleansing virus of fucking socialism.
You got to just keep sharpening your axe, as Lincoln said. Jack, that means jacking off if you have to, but it also means working close to the bone. And I hope to be doing some of that in the near future. There's people doing stuff here in LA that I'm very excited about. I know that it's uh, probably totally quixotic, but I also accept that at some point I have to make a leap of faith. I have to do the Kierkegaard thing, and it might be wrong in some objective sense, but me doing it isn't wrong because I'm doing it from an actual intention of, of engaging in work that is self-effacing in the sense that it is not maximally pleasing to the senses, that it is a bit of a sacrifice, that it means more to others than me. And uh, we'll see what it is. But I have to get to the point where I can accept it. You know, I have to convince myself. And that is a question of building a spiritual reservoir, building, a, building an extended sense of a meaning, an extended sense of, of purpose, and, uh, and, and an extensive sense of the good that is not uh, hedonic. But we're fighting against the fact that we're inscribed with hedonic calculus. That's all we have. That's what we have instead of a soul is a hedonic calculator. Now, through the functioning of the hedonic calculator, we create a soul. A soul is created through our de making decisions and living with them and remembering them. That's what makes our soul. But it is made up of these decisions made by the hedonic calculator. And then it is a question of the soul to intervene on this mechanism, to put a fucking a stick in the spokes. And yes, that is the snake eating its tail. That is the fundamental, uh, that is the Mobius strip because we can never resolve these things. The, 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 the process is what defines them. They are nothing without the process. And so we can't live outside of them. And that's one of the things that makes us flee from uh, challenging our spiritual notions and our, our uh, priorities, our emotional priorities, because it means being, in a real sense, a different person. A national holiday where we all take mushrooms at the same time, I got to say, not the worst idea in the world. I am not a fan of the idea that, oh, if you just got rich people to do drugs, they would be evil. They The people who most assiduously consume psychedelics in this country are the most demonic people on earth. They they see like, ooh, here's a thing that like expands your sensory apparatus. I will use this to further my attempt to become a god on earth. I will further it by trying to inscribe my – they're so convinced and so metaphysically wedded to their separateness by the life they've lived that when they expand their consciousness, they expand that sense of them the, – like there is really a sense of a, a touch to the divine that happens when you're on psychedelics. But the thing is is that because you are an individual, when you get in touch with the divine through a sensory – an intensity of sensory – perception that comes from uh, the taking of a psychedelic. That means that you come in touch with the universe, which is God, which means that you as an individual are jet literally uh, a God in the sense that you are composed entirely of the universe, even though you can't perceive all of it. Now, of course, whether or not that's what lingers whether or not that's the, 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 the shape of the feeling that you take with you out of the, the, the trip boils down to what your understanding of these concepts comes from. And if you've lived your life as a fucking isolated night, a, 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 a keen bl blade 
of social uh, mayhem, a, a fucking, a keenly sharpened straight razor that is hacking away at social bonds, your, your connection to anybody but yourself and your own consciousness, your, you, you, uh, using that separateness to, to dominate technology, to create a world where you are the only living thing surrounded by a, ref- a technological reflection of yourself. You have weaved yourself into this katana of capitalism. That expanded consciousness is just going to make you better at doing that. So it's not just people should do this, but the idea of like a national day of simultaneous doing it, obviously you wouldn't get a, you wouldn't get anything like everybody the first time, but who knows what kind of spark flies in any, if it scales, like if it turns into a thing that a number of people do and more and more people do it, and especially if they do it together, like everyone's doing it at the same time, but we're all on our computers or we're all like uh, staring at a bush. We're like, in groups, I don't know. That's pretty fucking, it's all about intention. And I don't think just saying a national day of that is enough intention. It would have to start smaller. It would have to emerge from federal uh, local uh, experimentation. A, re- a reaffirmation of the Greek mysteries that used to like fire uh, Greco-Roman society and social order. But again, that would not be a national day of X because that's everybody deciding to, uh, you know, buy the world a Coke like the end of Mad Men. But who knows? Maybe you would get a kindling and get a roaring fire. I went to Shanghai. I went to uh, Shanghai once and I went to uh, the building in the French concession that had, was part of the, uh, the um, treaty ports that were wrested from uh, the uh, King Empire, the Manchus, uh, by the Western powers uh, during the century of humiliation. I uh, went to the building of the French concession where the Chinese Communist Party was founded. And it's a museum now. And they have the room. The room just has a table, just has the table. But there is in the attached museum, there is a replica of the table with uh, life-size dummies of everybody who had been in the room sitting around the table. And it's like 22 guys. And, of course, Mao, even though he was a junior partner at that point, he was not one of the main founders of the Chinese Communist Party. Those guys all died over the course of the revolution. Um, he was he was not one of the one of the leading voices at the time, but he's the one, of course, standing and pointing at a map or something. And it was like, God damn, twenty two fucking dudes. And they ended up taking over the whole country. And it's like, yeah, because it was twenty two people in a room, you know, twenty two people in a room who then went out and went into rooms with other people, went into rooms with other people. Went into fields with other people. Went into struggle with other people. Did not go off to post. Some of them posted. But what they did was they posted in newspapers that were read in workplaces by workers. Man, I still think I missed one more point about the 
about that Cisnerobian guy. And I think it is that what this boils down to is these people have the um, basic identity of someone who should be a cultural liberal. They are, they live urban lives. They either have jobs in the cultural production sector, the cultural production sector, or are adjacent to the cultural production sector, or are would be like grinders in entrepreneurs in the cultural sector space. Like they want a Substack, they would like a, a podcast. They are in that space. They are been demographically determined. They went to college mostly. Or, or they went to college, and they uh, and they resent the fact that they have to observe this this cultural production mechanism that is alienating to them. They don't like it. They don't have the the either the naive desire to make a revolution like a lot of socialists have, or the felt emotional connection that actual oppressed groups feel when they see it an actual validation through representation genuine feelings that they have that aren't made up and aren't propaganda and aren't lies created to destroy class solidarity are real things that really have to be dealt with if you're going to create a working class counter hegemony within the uh within the culture sorry they can't be wished away but they're experienced one way and they're experienced differently and so if you want to engage in this, you want to tweet and stuff, you essentially, if you can't, you can't be a Republican. You cannot be a Trumpist. You cannot accept conservatism from the right because then you are out of it. You're out. You're over in the kiddie pool. You're on Parler and Gab. You're fucking replying to Sean Hannity. You're with the squares. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You're at the nursing home with your grandma and grandpa who you have the same fucking politics as but who you, of course, don't want to hang out with. You don't want to watch fucking The Price is Right with your grandparents, which is what uh, Facebook is, what Fox News is, what Onan is. Now, that is only if you are one of these acculturated college graduate type people. I must say that. Outside of it, you don't necessarily experience that say, that way. But they experience it as, this is old people shit. This is for rubes. This is for ner- squares. This is for people who aren't, who don't get all the angles like I do. So then, what do you do? You create a system where you can take the other side. You can take the reactionary, re- culturally reactionary side in these things from the left, or from a liberal center. And that, or if you're not, if you're like one of these guys, but you're a full uh, Nazi and you don't give a shit about appearing nice to polite society or getting good entertainment because hating that shit is like your identity. You imagine that you're actually the vanguard of a national socialist project. You and Tucker Carlson are going to turn America into a Heron Volk fucking democracy along not whiteness, but by uh, traditional hierarchies associated around uh, like masculinity. Yes, race, but not like one drop race. Like accommodating the political reality of actually building a fucking uh, political constituency to do something with laws and statutes as opposed to fucking hashtags, which is all that the goddamn liberals get out of their elite control. So they're not an elite. 
If anything, you need them more than anybody because you are the ones who uh, create the space for you. Because if that wasn't the case, if there was a working class, cultural, counter-hegemonic, uh, like, generated thing, like a political project married to a cultural project that was explicitly oriented around class and did not disproportionately be created by rich kids and bored and anxious rich kids and downwardly mobile sons of the, of the middle class, but actual workers, like, who built this shit out of their experience of exploitation – if you had to deal with that, then you'd have to fucking make a choice. Then you'd have to choose between your comfortable uh, position and your love of uh, of cultural indulgence as identity. Ooh, watching my shows and doing my posts and pretending that I'm a fucking intellectual that we're all doing. You wouldn't be able to do it because you would have to. Tur- you'd have to become one of the fucking grandpas or one of the the, the Nazis. You'd have to turn in your uh, bourgeois card and, and uh, essentially devolve into one of the Neanderthals. And you don't want to do that. You want to be able to enjoy culture through the veil of, uh, of eroticism and aesthetic indulgence and decadence that defines our moment of culture. You want in on the decadence is what it is. And if you want in the de- and if you want in on the decadence, then you cannot endorse actual socialism. You cannot work for actual socialism any more than the rich uh, liberals can. They're addicted to the opposite of decadence. They're addicted to the hair shirt. They're addicted to penitence. I mean, somebody says, like, what about black conservatives like Larry Elder and Candace Owens? In the black community, this goes, the, uh, the this same thing is happening because there are wealthy black people. There are middle class black people. There are people caught in the same crux of expectation as white people. But uh, layered on top of their experience of, of that is the layer of living as a black person in America, which they have as one of the... Com- defining features of their individualized consumer identities. And what that ends up doing is it operates as a, the closest thing we have to class fucking solidarity in this country is in the black community. It isn't, but it is the closest we have because of the, the experience, the racial experience of being a black person that transcends class. Now people can point out and rightly so that wealthier black people do not suffer like the black people who make culture, for example, the black people who are being hired to fill spots in the culture production machine to diversify the point of view. They do not experience the real sharp edge of racial discrimination in this country. The the early deaths, the early death rates from violence uh, and uh, the hiring, the, the incarceration, higher risk of incarceration. But by definition, the people who are making culture are not the ones who are being incarcerated, but they are experiencing racism because of the system designed around this reality. And so they have experience being black that gives them a felt connection to poor black people, a felt connection to poor black people that does not exist in the white community because whiteness is the absence of race. Whiteness means you don't have to think racially. White people are becoming racially aware because now we're in 
a crisis and people are being immiserated and feeling precarious and are alienated from the system. At the, at, 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 when America had promise and when America reached its, its decadent middle century of detente, that wasn't the case. And those systems, those formations still exist, but now they're in crisis and everyone is picking a way to think about being white, but it is filling a vacuum. And so what that means is that if you're a black person who you will have the same concerns about hierarchy. With, if you're a black person within capitalism who benefits from capitalism, which is all the ones who succeed because that's America is capitalism. So there are black people by definition who benefit, who are on the top end of the distribution, even though they are still racially oppressed and they are still not a full citizen in like the metaphysical sense that white people are because citizenship is defined as whiteness and that's changeable and stuff. But that is like the basic pr- framework of it. So you have that feeling of alienation from America and you have to express it. And there are several black conservative traditions that express that alienation. Uh, like the Garveyite notion of black separatism and black capitalism is basically that, that the things, the same way that conservatism blames the, the uh, non-citizen for the ailings of the Republic, black conservatism blames uh, whiteness. And they, therefore, one argument for that is, well, if you got whites out of the equation, you would have just distribution within a hierarchy determined by, I think, if it ever got uh, refined enough, it would get to fucking meritocracy. It would be a recreation of liberalism and, 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 and the uh, metaphysics of neoliberalism. And Clarence Thomas is a good expression of that. Clarence Thomas believes that racism is real believes that white racism is, in fact, the cause of black pathologies. But as a result, he thinks that all attempts to mitigate it through legislation are failure, are doomed, will only make things worse because they cannot defeat the centrality of white racism. He is a racial pessimist, much like the the fucking uh, black radicals that people like nowadays are. Tannicus goes. He is a race realist. And so his legislature is is organized around maintaining the hierarchies and structures imposed by capitalism within the black community as a bulwark against the acidic association of black and white. But that kind of, and like Hotep is like that. Hotep is essentially just an absolute mirror image of MRA, rightosphere, red pill, uh, white supremacy, uh, internet white supremacy. It is online, it is white, it is black incels, black guys who are on the internet because they have nothing else to do, just like the white guys who created the entire red pill movement, but without the ability to have race as part of it, without racial anxiety, racial guilt, as part of their understanding of themselves. But these things get uh, confused because we don't have a vocabulary to express this reality. That is why you see people talk about like Tariq Nasheed as being on the left in some meaningful sense because he supports reparations. I mean, the thing is, is that like the black net without separation, like Garvey at least said that we'll do it. We'll do it in Africa. What the whites did in America. That was Garvey's vision. 
We'll do an America. We will do our own America in Africa. That at least is coherent because, hey, we can get the land and we can like build, we can build out a social order out of this. If you stay in, if you stay within capitalism, you will, it will never, you will never, uh, if you will stay within a multiracial society, you'll never do it. The, the goal, and, and, you, and that's why the, the politics of like, of, of these people and the, and like the notions of reparations that they, generate really are like badgering white people into feeling guilty enough to give it up because they interact with white people who are all guilty as shit. So they think, oh, we'll just badger the white people until they agree to do it out of guilt. But they are the minority. They're just the elite of the culture sphere. And when the majority are forced to choose between a politics of material hierarchy that they might be above others in and just a spiritual penance with no material benefit, they're going to probably break away from reparations. It's why this is such a confused and frustrating debate and so pointless because these, these words don't mean it, it is, it, it is Wittgenstein's hell. It is, it is mutually overlapping misunderstandings. There is no common vocabulary here because everyone is looking through all of these questions through cultural bafflers because there is no astringent material connective tissue of class politics. There's nobody doing work outside of defining themselves in a uh, consumer e- ether so all these terms are mystified, which is why you can't get any meaning out of the elite politics, out of politics as a cultural expression. And that means that there is no meaningful way that these people are elite. The, the argument for the, that they're elite means you have to fight them. But the only way you can fight them that will be heard is to take the other side in the culture war, to fill in the fucking space where the fight goes to direct people's attention elsewhere. It's all you can do is fucking sheepdog people into the cave to watch the fucking reflection of the fire on the wall. The only way you can justify it is these people are elite. They're determining things. Nope. The fact that they control everything and the, and the, the general shit they put out will, but specifically, no. Your participation in this thing is meaningless other than as ballast. More weight to fill out the balloon. If you're going to be publicly expressing politics, it is incumbent upon you to deny fire to this fucking, the uh, fuel of this fire. You deny kindling to this. You no but it. You be the worst improv fucking uh, partner. Like Imagine every uh, invitation to argue any of these points or to express them if you are a cultural producer and engage them as a cultural producer, uh, is generated by a desire to, like, convince people. You will not be doing so. You'll be driving further a political dynamic that will eventually result in a crisis. Like, I got to say, people who are talking about, hey, you know, the Republicans might actually do a clear, uh, a, a, Clerical coup, a work paper, a paperwork coup in 2024, and I say, yeah, of course they could. 
The way what they're doing at the state level, absolutely they could. And the reason they're doing that, this is the problem. When people talk about this, they want you to engage with it on the level of look at how evil the Republicans are. You need to acknowledge that this is an anti-democratic, fascist threat. Because look what they want to do. I say, don't engage on that. Because guess what? They've always wanted to do this. They have always found democracy to be a fucking abomination. And they've been trying to reverse it ever since the fucking labor peace. These are the people who rebelled at the fucking signing ceremonies. These are the people who said no. And they formed the backbone of the early, uh, uh, the Taft movement. The, tried to make William Howard, or the, tried to make Robert, the isolationist Robert Taft, uh, Republican nominee in 1952, when the Eastern bankers literally used propaganda over the airwaves to get the fucking dumbasses in the uh, auditorium at the convention to vote for Eisenhower. They brought Eisenhower in from being literally the president of Columbia University, being a a lifelong apolitical person who would been fucking approached by the Democrats to run for president too and was weighing the offers, come in and make him the fucking president nominee. That is now the entire GOP. And it's always always uh, been premised on baronial authority. And that is not democratic. The thing is, is that the 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 uh, intent, the efficacy of their resistance to it was determined by the resistance. They did what they could get away with. They have always done what they can get away with. If they are planning a judicial coup, if Trump thought he he had enough faith that by doing whatever half-ass thing he did to try to get them to overturn the election. He earnestly believed in his heart that if they succeeded, he would have stayed president. Now, of course, he's a half-assed, lazy idiot, so he didn't have any groundwork laid. He had done nothing to prepare for the moment. Now, of course, having seen how technically close it got, Republicans are at the grassroots trying to build a bridgehead to that maybe doing that if they get closer next time. But once again, what is predicating these moves is the belief that they would get away with it, that there would not be sufficient resistance to stop them. That is the point about this that matters. That is what it needs to be the fundamental question that generates all social or all questions of political strategy, tactics, cultural production, everything. How do you build resistance to it? And that, the, the other, the, the, uh, the argument of the people who want to focus on the evil of the Republicans is they might give you, they might give you that and say, you're right. That is the signal question. How do we do it? We scare everybody about how bad the Republicans are. Nope. Because your revulsion to the Republicans on a moral level corresponds to your position in the fucking liberal bubble. In the social liberal bubble, which has already been determined to not be enough. Because they're all people who are not invested in fighting for the fighting uh, the system. They're invested in perpetuating the system. The same people who in 2000 let Bush steal it will let us will let them steal it in 2024. If they're fighting on the grounds of culture. 
No one will die for the Democratic Party. That is what the Republicans know, and is what's driving them. And you can't scare them about the Republicans because that doesn't work on the people you need it to work on. You need numbers. You need fucking sinews. You need people in the streets, people organizing, people at places where capital can be disrupted through coordinated labor action. The the revoking of labor power at key moments in transportation infrastructure, in the in the bottlenecks of the just-in-time transmission belt. And my entire contention, and others can argue, is that yelling about how scary and bad the Republicans are will not get you there. If they do steal it in 2024, that's it. It's stolen. And then you're not getting in elections. If you want to fight the system, you're going to have to fight it with your fucking hands. You're going to have to actually risk something. You're going to have to genuinely risk something. And I know that all the people on this side of that question, all the people on this side, all the people theoretically imagining this 2024 pooched, they imagine that if they were on the other side, if, they, if you snapped your fingers on them and said, hey, guys, there was a coup, Trump or DeSantis is ruling now in opposition to a clear electoral uh, outcome because he got the, the Supreme Court to go along or he got House of Representatives to not recognize the electors from the states that the Democrat won. I'm going to fight. How many people said if they try to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG, we're going to burn it all down? How many people said that? They can all think that now. If it happens in four years and it comes down to a question of I, and remember, the people we're talking about are the people who respond to the moral point, who respond to politics at this moral level of, of virtue, of virtue and of uh, representation. They already know that they are within this bubble. And what puts them in the bubble is their position relatively comfortable within the system. They have jobs. Now, some of them are getting less, more immiserated. But the ones who do the most of the, of the creating and engaging of it are materially comfortable. And my posit, posit is that in 2024, they would be too, unless there is an actual, this, all this happens with like an economic collapse. But honestly, I don't even think that would necessarily do it because the collapse is going to hurt people outside of the circle disproportionately. And the inside, there's going to be a lot of familial wealth uh, that will cushion the blow. Uh, they're not going to fucking want to die for uh, their, their beliefs. And the poor people are not going to want to die for the Democratic Party. They're not... At the bottom, they're not going to fight for this Democratic Party, and the people who really believe in the Democratic Party won't fight because they're too comfortable. And so the politics determined within the bubble on the left, both the liberals and the leftists who, who have decided that a, a, a cultural popular front led by liberals is the way towards class consciousness and towards uh, a material confrontation with capital at this moment of crisis. Uh, you, it's, I, just, I think that that question of whether that is possible is the one everyone has to confront and answer for themselves. I am confident that it is no. But I can understand that people will, in good faith, disagree. 
But I do also think that the only thing that will break this deadlock is not anybody arguing anybody else out of a position, but by people uh, living in their lives, people having experiences that make them test their ideas against reality. And then in the test, we'll see what stands up. We'll see where the sinews actually are. We'll see where the joints are. We'll see where the leverage points are. And then we will react. Some of us will react like we're still in the fucking, we'll react because their head's in the, in the box and they will not be able to be dealt, they will not be able to be reasoned with. But if it works, if your, if your adaptation is selected for, you can beat them because you're going to get more people because you're going to be more fucking attractive to, to the people who need to be attracted. You will win the fight. You don't have to fucking complain about it. You will win. All right, I went really long today. Felt like this was good. I hope it made sense. Oh, right. Uh, As I leave, just let me say, uh, put Ricking Morty in charge of the virus. Please, please. Please put Ricking Morty in charge of the virus and also the climate. But we, I know we got some problems with the climate. I think if we put Ricking Morty in charge of them, everything would be fine. Bye.